Am I wrong about that? Am I leading this incorrect? I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't. I don't. <laughs> it, 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 it was. It, yeah. It, yeah. Let's go with me. Okay. Yeah, because Scott did it. We put it up on the screen, and then you. Yeah, it's me. You're right. You're good. Good enough. You're good. All right. So we were discussing the Lord's temptation, the mm -hmm. temptation of our Lord. Uh, we were both accounts. We were in Matthew four. I think Luke's account probably gives us a little more detail. So we'll go there uh, tonight and look at Luke's account of uh, our Lord's temptation. Also Luke four, actually, easy way to remember that. It's Matthew four, it's Luke four. And it's probably right around the same number of verses, probably close to the first 10 to 13 or so uh, in both mm -hmm. sections. We were talking about the first temptation, and that is uh, the temptation to turn the, the bread to stone. We made the case last week that it's not a temptation if you can't do it. It right. can't rise to the level of temptation if it can't be done. I've never been tempted to fly. I've just never been a temptation for me uh, because I can't. So things that you can't do, they can't be called temptations. However, when uh, the ability and the opportunity meet, well, that's that that's probably something that can rise to the level of temptation. The Bible teaches us that Jesus was tempted. It's also one of the ways we know being tempted is not sinful because our Lord never sinned. Um, he did no sin, 1 Peter 2, 21 to 25, neither was guile found in his mouth. He, he did not sin. And yet he was tempted in all points, like as we are. Hebrews 4, I want to say 15, uh, 12 to 15. See that section? I think it's right in that window there. That's about right. Uh, <laughs> so um, our Lord can identify with us then because he did have flesh and he was subject to the same things that we are. I believe Hebrews 2, the end of that chapter, says our Lord is able to succor them, succor them because he had flesh like the seed of Abraham. And so we looked at the first one, this idea of turning the bread to stone, our Lord's response to that, Deuteronomy 8 turning the bread, the stone to bread. <laughs> Wouldn't help to turn the stone to bread. Bread to stone. <laughs> Thank you very much. So no, no, all you have to, to, to turn the bread to stone, all you have to do is leave it outside for a little while. <laughs> I, I can do that one. <laughs> Probably won't want to eat it though after you do that. <laughs> De Deuteronomy 8 is where the Lord's answer was. And so we looked at that last week, and we are now on the second part or the second temptation of our Lord. And that's recorded in beginning in verse number five. The devil took him um, there it is. Sorry, it's too far down. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory. Other renderings may say, let me see what mine says, uh, may say kingdoms, all this, all these kingdoms, all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So if the first sin was the lust of the flesh, this would then be the lust of the eyes, I would think. Uh, because the third one seems very much pride of life um, right. sort of deal. So this, this would fall into that category then. And the Lord's answer is found in Deuteronomy 6. So let's look at Deuteronomy 6. And I guess if you want to, do you want to say or talk at all about what the devil says here in 5 and 6 and 7? Do you want to spend a little time talking about that before we get to the Lord's answer? Um, I mean, I, I don't know that it has to do, that part of it has to do necessarily with temptation. Um, um you know the, the the legitimacy of his claim um, is interesting, as uh, you know, uh, 
Daniel would say about God several times in the book of Daniel that the, 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 he rules in the affairs of men and gives the kingdom to whomsoever he will. That seems to be in some conflict with Satan's statement here in, uh, in Luke chapter four. Um, and um, so how, how, how do you work that out? How do you uh, harmonize those two, those two things is, is an interesting discussion. Um, and perhaps there's more than one way in which um, these kingdoms have been delivered to him versus um, God you know, doing, doing whatever he does as well. Uh, I think the end result is that um, Satan is essentially offering Jesus that which I guess I suppose on some level Jesus is is trying to do as, he, as, as he's here to to redeem the world and and, and save you know well, redeem individuals within the world but not the whole world obviously. Um, so I mean there, there there's some interesting stuff there. I, how it re relates exactly to the temptation I'm not I'm not sure if that's where we want to go or not. I would agree. There's some interesting stuff there. Um, the phrase he says, it has been delivered to me, mm -hmm. would suggest then even if he does have some form of, form of possession, it's not an ultimate possession. It no, is no. Um, delivered. Well, who would have delivered it to you? Uh, that does, at least in, in my mind, put me in mind of Job 1 and 2, where if it is the case that God allowed him to do something, it was just that an allowance of some sort, but certainly not. Um, he didn't say, I mean, he didn't say he grabbed it. He took it. He possessed it. It's mine. It, it was delivered to me. It's been given to well, me. So that does obviously Satan does not have a clear understanding uh, as to the purpose of Jesus on the earth and how that's going to be accomplished and so on. But one would think if we are, if the traditional view of his origins is, is correct, that he is in somehow a, a, a fallen angel, something of that nature, um, he does, he does know the consequence of sin. Um, he's suffering under it. And he also then knows that all of the kingdoms of the world have um, to come to that thing that he did as well. So maybe in that sense, he understands that they belong to him and they, and he, excuse me, he does not have a, a clue, uh, a real clue as to how Jesus intends to get them back. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, you know, I've never spent a lot of time thinking about that, but what exactly does Satan think Jesus is doing here on the earth? What does he think he's, is, is, his, is his view the same as maybe some of the Jews was uh, about the, um, conquering of the world or the, the you know the, the the establishment of that material kingdom is that does that is that what he is thinking jesus is on the earth to do and so he's making that offer with a shortcut i you know i'm not exactly sure i'm not either and i can't ever get out of my mind if the devil is talking he might just be lying there's a real good possibility of that john well, <laughs> 844 comes to mind so i i, I can't you know even if the Lord did, uh, the Lord would fail, obviously, but Satan would renege, it seems to me. He wouldn't, he wouldn't follow through on his, on his word anyway. Yeah. But our Lord's answer is the point of interest. Yeah. Jesus answered, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So that takes us back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And uh, the full context of that thought would take us all the way from verse one down to verse number 14 or, or so, uh, maybe even 15. But as you know, this section of scripture, Moses has the nation assembled and he begins to talk to them about the commands of the Lord. And there is this, this I don't know for lack of a better word, this great section from verse four down to verse number 10 uh, or 12 where Moses is emphatic about how uh, the importance of, uh, I'll say parents, but he, he says the whole nation, but, but verse number seven with great specificity, you, uh, verse six and seven, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children 
and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand. They shall be as front between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Uh, that section of scripture just, I, I don't know that there's a, a, a like passage to describe the, the idea of passing God's word on generationally. Again, I think this would be to the nation, uh, but certainly then within that nation, there are parents who have children. Um, and this is how I was making the case yesterday in, in a sermon about Timothy, that Timothy had an inherited faith. And I don't know why that's frowned upon. That's by design. And, and this is the design. You, <laughs> yes, it's supposed to become his at some point, but it starts out as an inheritance from your parents. And what an inheritance you could get if your parents would give you God. Right. Right. Um, and that, that, is exactly the path that um, um, is being prescribed here. Um, psalm 78 always comes to mind when you, when you think about the, that Psalm of Asaph, uh, where he says very much the same thing, and it's one generation shall teach the next and the coming and so on. Uh, I think he lists either three or four total generations in that psalm of people that are supposed to instruct each other. Um, that was God's plan in, in Israel and, and should be ours you know, today as well. Um, before we get too far off topic, uh, Deborah asks, uh, is Satan, um, nope, that is the wrong one. Where did that go? Is, um, is Satan saying this world is his, which is what we were talking back there in Luke before we got too far away. I wanted to get that up on the screen and um, short answer to that sounds like it's uh, what he is saying, Deborah. Um, and, you know, that again is larger, probably outside of our topic for tonight, but um, he is called the prince of the world and like the prince of this world and so on. Uh, he has some, um, some claim upon this world because the world lies in sin and that makes it his, that makes it his territory, at least the territory in which he runs in, obviously. And ultimately God is sovereign and God is, you know, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, you know, you, you, that, that's, that's who you're dealing with. Um, but on some level, he, at least at this point in time, he is claiming, uh, claiming ownership, claiming ownership of it. I think the passages like um, Ephesians, uh, Two, we walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children, disobedience. Um, the second Corinthians to the God of this world. Um, uh, if, if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. The God of this world is blind. Oh, right. So there is that kind of language in scripture, but I, I would certainly agree. I think, again, it never rises above. It's not like people think where it's a warring uh, kind of idea where God is on one side, Satan is on the other side, and there is this constant battle of equals vying for humanity's um, affections mm -hmm. and trying to triumph good over it. There's not that picture in scripture. There is the infinite God of heaven and everything and everyone subject to him and Satan included. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember serving you preached back in Katy many, many years ago. And the, I think the title was something along the lines of there's no versus. Uh, it, it's not God versus Satan. It's just God. And, um, and it, it is only his, only the, 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 the limitations, his nature express, or the way that the way his, his nature expresses his person, uh, meaning that he withholds judgment. Uh, he does not act immediately on these things. Uh, and part of that being the fullness of time was all, all you know, still being worked out and the, and the scheme of redemption is still being fulfilled and the world continued as it did, because that's what God was in the process of doing was bringing, bringing all of that about. Um, so it's, it, there is no versus, there, there is no, there is no conflict in that regard. There is only the tolerance and the long suffering of God, which gives evil people space, gives them time. And Satan has claimed to the degree that he has freedom, he's claimed. He's claimed that space in that time. And maybe we'll have to spend, you know, another time, another day talking about Satan in more detail. But hard to talk about temptation and not ever mention him, um, right. as as I think you said in our very first episode. He is called the tempter, uh, among other things. So, back to Deuteronomy six. Uh, after those great instructions. Uh, about God's word being put in the hearts of parents passed on generationally. Uh, Moses talks in about God bringing them into the land. 
And, and he says in verse 10, 11, 12, when the Lord brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the God of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God in the midst, in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and destroy you from off the face of the earth. So there is our Lord's response, obviously, that ESV is slightly different than the King James, but that is the language of, of, of Luke 4 and Matthew 4. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It is the Lord your God you shall swear by, and him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Uh, as you can hear in that context, it, it certainly speaks to um, reliance on God, um, fidelity to God based on God's goodness, God's provisions, God's love that has been shown, uh, a reciprocity of that, a commitment to him, an exclusive nature. And Satan is asking Jesus to trade that for a personal desire for something else. If you will bow down and worship me, if you will give up God, then I'll give you this in return. And so it seems like he's asking the Lord to take God off of the throne of your heart, enthrone me, and for that decision, I'll give you something else. And, uh, our Lord says, know that I think that's that's where that language comes from. And I think that's the answer uh, relative to that temptation. What, would you like to add something to that? Um, yeah, j just uh, again, depending on what what our understanding of Satan's end goal here is, I mean, or, or maybe Satan's understanding of Jesus end goal here. Uh, he maybe maybe he has that conception that that's exactly what Jesus is is here for. Obviously, not understanding the scheme of redemption. He's here. He's here to take back what I have. And, you know, in the, in the first temptation, we have a, a use of, uh, of of the power that God uh, had, had invested in, in the incarnate Christ to effectively um, satisfy his own, his own needs, his own momentary needs, as opposed to using that power in a way that would more, more fully, more properly glorify God which seems to be the reason that power is invested in, in, in men in, in, in all pages of the Bible. Here, we seem essentially to be trying to um, thwart, help out maybe another, another, other, on the other side of the coin, but we're bypassing the plan of God. If, if Satan believes that Jesus is here on some level to accomplish that, um, this would be a way for Jesus to get it, you know, in an instant. And um, and so, therefore, not relying on having faith in the ultimate plan that God had in place to secure the goal that Satan believes Jesus is trying to secure. At least I would assume so. Um, and so what we have, again, is, is just a, a misuse or a mistrust uh, in, the, in, the, in the plan of God and the will of God. And I'm going, you know, kind of like Abraham and Sarah do with Hagar. Um, I'm going to help God out here. I'm going to go about my own way to accomplish God's will. Um, and of course, in, in so doing, Jesus would have forfeited everything. So of course, you know, he couldn't do it, but the answer he gives, you worship the Lord, your God, him only do you serve, um, is, is, is a statement of submission then to that plan, which, you know, Satan is trying to get Jesus to go around. A, a submission to, it seems like every one of these temptations and the third one will be no different also center around whether or not you will choose you over God. Mm -hmm. um, you satisfy yourself. Don't trust God to satisfy yourself. You do it. Here, I'll give you these things and you give up God. You're going mm -hmm. to have to forfeit God 
in order to have it. But if you do, I'll give you something in return. And that seems to be at the heart of sin. I, I hear people sometimes say, I may have said it myself, I don't know, but I know I've heard gospel preachers say that sin is ultimately selfishness, that on some level, you're doing something to satisfy you even and beyond God. You're willing to have something for yourself over and above the relationship with God. And that seems to be the heart of temptations, that mm -hmm. uh, this thing I'm going to do selfishly for myself to, to cost me my relationship with God on some level. Yeah, yeah that's... Uh... That, that that's that's at the heart of it. Uh, that, that that there's there's always um, there's always some degree of, of selfishness. There's the, the exaltation of self um, at the heart of, of every sin. Um, you know, I'm either trying to enrich myself, great, you know, satisfy myself in some way, or to avoid a negative consequence in some way. Um, and then that's that's always and I, there's no really no no other motivation. You don't sin to you know. Um, put yourself at risk while helping somebody else out. You know that's that's not, not that's not the way that works. Uh, you do it you do it to help yourself out in some way. Which I I think then we can really appreciate temptation. You're being invited, solicited to do something sinful against God. Uh, David said, "Against thee and thee only have I sinned," and and that's ultimately. I don't know. There's nothing we can do to get around that. This is ultimately about you and God, about me and God. And on some level, I'm choosing me over him. And I think mm -hmm. that helps us kind of frame the bigger, uh, the bigger avenue of temptation, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Here are things I'm willing to trade for me over God. And that, I think that's helpful to understand that. Let's look at the third one. We got a couple other passages to talk about before we run out of time. Maybe we'll get to some more questions if uh, if people have. So we return to our Lord's temptation. Uh, the last one there in verse number nine. And coincidentally, and I know you probably know this, but we'll say it just the same. When, when the scripture says Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, this is what it's talking about. These three avenues, not with any specificity. I've heard people say some well, I'll be, uh, you know, some some strange things. Uh, Jesus doesn't know my temptations because he wasn't married. Uh, Jesus doesn't know my temptation. He was never tempted to, and then they fill in the blank. Well, that's not, he's not talking about those things. He's talking about these three avenues through which temptation comes, and our Lord was tempted in those ways. Verse number nine, he took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is written, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Uh, Anything you want to add to that or say about that before we get over to Deuteronomy 6? Uh, just, I mean, the, the mechanics here, uh, obviously, um, you know, is is this a visible manifestation of Jesus and Satan on, on the top of the temple? It seems Jesus is there. I don't know if Satan is there in any any visible form. Uh, obviously, you, you, you've got to notice in here that um, uh, Satan knows scripture and is able to quote it. Uh, that, that's a point that is often made uh, here because that's what he does and completely misuses the text, or at least he, he uses the text in a way that is um, uh, beyond its scope. What is Obviously, what is said here is true um, about the protection of God and so on, but the response to Jesus is, is very much, of course, appropriate to the, to the use that Satan is making of the text here. Um. Absolutely agree. I think it's in the Psalms. Is that is that 78? What song is that? That's quoted in the Psalms. Uh, and then it is, as you point out, it is an accurate rendition of the song, but it's out of context. And that's uh, Psalm 91, 11 and 12. Helpful. 
It is. Uh, it's really good to have little help helps like that in your Bible. It's very sometimes. <laughs> it is also noteworthy that in every one of these things, Satan uh, doesn't have new ideas. He he does the same things that he did at the beginning with Eve. You'll note the phrase. And I think it's in every one. If you're the son of God, mm -hmm. well, he is. <laughs> And now prove it. Now, now, if you are, do this. And so he he tries to cast doubt. He he tries to suggest otherwise than what you might know to be true. Did that with Eve, and it worked. And, and here he is trying it again. Uh, our Lord's response uh, takes us back to Deuteronomy six. And so we've had three responses from the Lord. Each one, it is written. It is written. It is written. Uh, sometimes people say, "Well, when you attempt to just quote scripture." Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's helpful to know what the you need a little more than just quoting the scripture. Yeah. You got to have it in a context to know why you're quoting that scripture. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And then draw out of the scripture what it teaches and go practice the scripture. But it's very helpful to start there. So we stopped at 15. Same context the lord your god is in your midst is a jealous god lest the anger of the lord your god be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth you shall not put the lord your god to the test and as moses says and is recorded elsewhere hebrews 3 comes to mind as you tested him at mesa they had done this instead you shall diligently keep the commandments of the lord your god and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you and that you may go in and possess the good of the land that the Lord your God, the Lord swore to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies before him as the Lord promised. And so we have in verse 16, the Lord's quote to Satan's mm -hmm. temptation, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. I'm going to suggest pride of life. I, I don't know what else it would be to jump off of the pinnacle of the temple in the presence of everyone assembled, knowing that the angels would swoop down and save you lest you dash your foot against the stone. It would be a grand demonstration uh, to say the very least. Uh, but the Lord says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Um, and that's what that would be. You wouldn't want to take an action that would, quote, force God's hand, if you will, to mm -hmm. do something again for what would be, I don't know how else to describe it, your own selfish personal benefit. Yeah, and the, the opening of that is, 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 again, critical. If you be the son of God. Uh, in the in the assertion, uh, there is built in uh, an implied motivation for doing the act for doing the ta task, and th and that is going to be uh, to announce to everybody that I am indeed the Son of God. It, it's again, it's going to be be about my own uh, glorification, my own gratification, uh, not about anything that's serving God. Um, if 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 jumping from the temple somehow glorified God. Then that would be something entirely different, but this is not that. This is not that. This is this, the 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 action here would be solely for your own benefit. And so what we're doing now is we are now using the the care and the providence of God. Well, actually, probably more this providence is certainly a special providence at the least. But we're we're using the protection of God, the promised protection of God, for our own benefit, as opposed to that which it's there for to allow us to go out and accomplish His will. Um, and once again, self-serving and self-interested at the very least. I, I think this is helpful, the thoughts of our Lord and the, the context in which we find these things, the larger context to appreciate not to have everything in our lives rise to the level of calling it a temptation. Mm -hmm. uh, every one of these things would have directly impacted his relationship with the father. It would have jeopardized it. It would have put it at risk. It would have failed it. So I, I'm, I'm not saying that things aren't challenging and trying, but if that's not the case, is it a temptation? If it's not going to put my relationship with God at risk, I think sometimes things are called temptation loosely. And we just, again, live in this space where Oh, I wake up in the morning and, and Satan 
is after me from the time my feet hit the floor until I'm able to pull them back up in the bed at night. And I am just barely making it through the day with um, a thousand and one things happening to me from the time I get up to the time I get home. Yeah. And sometimes those, if I understand the point you're making, sometimes the, uh, the things that we label as temptation are simply because we've imposed our own standards and our own rules upon ourselves. You know, we might, be on a, a food diet or food restriction of some sort that we put upon ourselves. And we, we use that word tempted to talk about the breaking of, of that diet when okay, you made up the diet, you know, you can, you, you know, if you want to do Atkins, do Atkins. If you want to do Weight Watchers, do Weight Watchers. And you can, you know, you can do them both on the same day. That's not much of a diet. If you do that, I suppose that's a, adding extra food in, but you know, it's, it's your, you, you get to do that. My point. So I guess on some level, yes, I am tempted in that I have a desire to eat something I told myself I'm not going to. But in, if I go ahead and I eat that thing, in so doing, I have not sinned. And, and in so doing, I have not injured my relationship to God. It's, it's, not, it, it's, not, a, it's not a temptation, biblically speaking. It, it's, it, it's, it's something, yes. But your point, your point is well, well served, is that a lot of the things we internally struggle with are things that are sometimes very much self-imposed that do not have a spiritual component to them. I don't know if we need to say that for like 50 hours or something, but that just okay. seems to govern people's lives far more than biblical temptation uh, to what we just read from our Lord and what we discussed. It's amazing. Um, in talking to people, sometimes I suggest to them that their prison that they live in is self-imposed and the key is on the inside of the cell. Just like we talked about this Friday, I guess when we were going through the first of the, of the temptations, here's a hungry man coming out of the uh, coming, coming out of the wilderness after 40 days. And we're talking about feeding him. Okay. There's nothing inherently wrong with that in any means whatsoever. In fact, that's exactly what you should do after you've been you know, fasting for 40 days I'm thinking food's probably a good thing. Uh, what makes this obviously uh, a problematic is, is, again, the lead into this thing. If you are the son of God. So once again, we're, we're doing exactly, or Jesus is being tempted to do exactly that. To, to, and now, you know, now it's become a test. Now it is a matter of temptation. Now I'm doing that for my own glorification as opposed to the glorification of God. It's not, it's no longer an act of rationality or an act of charity where, where I'm feeding somebody who's hungry. This is now a, a, a statement about my own personal glory and, and let, making sure everybody understands who I am. And so that, that's an entirely different, entirely different thing. But the act, as we said, as we said on Friday, the act itself is, is there's nothing wrong with the act. It's eating food. Um, so, you got you to make sure that this, that distinction is clear because it may, you know, it, it could be one of those things. I'm just eating food or maybe there is some, maybe the way I framed it and the, the company I'm in might turn that into some kind of temptation. Kind of like the eating of meats. When Paul says somebody puts food in front of you, eat it, asking no questions. <laughs> but if they put meat in front of you and says, say, this is meat offered to idols, same action, same, same plate of food, different responsibility based upon the context of it. Same thing's true of temptation. It, it puts me into, into thought of another, uh, maybe a connected conversation, but one that's probably necessary to have. And that is, uh, what are your thoughts when we do bind these things on ourselves? Are, aren't we then, and maybe that's the challenge, aren't we then obligated to keep our word? If, if you make up the rules, you are the one then saying, I'm going to do X. If, let, me, let me go another way. In talking to parents, as we were talking a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago or so, one of the things I suggest to young parents is, you know, be mindful of the number of rules you make. Yeah. Because you're, you're obligated to keep those rules. You're going to teach your children. So, so if you make up a list of 100 rules, and I sometimes refer to that as um, lazy parenting, you know, you, you don't want to invest in the, the process of parenting the child and the daily grind of repeating yourself and going back over and, and stopping and starting. So you want to get around that by simply posting a placard of rules on the refrigerator. Go see the hundred rules over there and then do them. The problem is the enforcement of a hundred rules. 
Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people do that to themselves in their own lives. And so if you, if you make up the rule, uh, well, keep the rule or, or don't make up the rule, but don't make up the rule, struggle with the rule and then tell God, I'm having a problem with you or the devil is really getting me, you know, Right. Maybe short circuit uh, that entire process or something. The Bible's real clear about um, if you make a vow to God, make sure you pay it. So if you make this rule that, you know, I'm, I'm going to do X or not do X or whatever it is, and that's a pledge to God, yeah, you kind of, you kind of, kind of need to make sure you keep that vow. You kind of do. Um, it becomes a matter of sin then if you do not. Um, I don't know that the, you know, some of the rules that we make for ourselves about non-sinful matters rise to that level if it's just an internal thing. It's not, I don't, I don't know that it rises to a level of sin if, if I say I'm not going to eat the Oreo and then I eat the Oreo. However, there is a spiritual problem with that, and that is not being true to yourself in this one area, not being reliable to yourself in one area can start a habit. And you can make that vow over something that's non-sinful and continue to betray yourself over and over and over and over again, makes it a little easier to, 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 to betray a vow over things that might be sinful. Uh, so I don't know that I would say inherently these things that that becomes a matter of sin, but it does open up the door. It provides a doorway for perhaps for other sin to have, uh, to weaken your resistance against other sin. I, I, I certainly would agree with that. Uh, I think we talked about it, having a proper understanding of uses of these matters. And as you talk about frequently uh, being transformed from the inside out, you know, food, um, relationships, even sex, uh, these things have a proper usage. Uh, our challenge and our problem becomes when we seek to use them improperly. Uh, and rather than throw out the baby with the bathwater and just say, well, we'll just get rid of everything. Uh, no, we just got to learn how to use it properly and in the way it's intended and then be blessed by the benefits God has provided in his world and in the things that are here. Yeah, yeah. Well, if there are no questions, Let's look at 1 Corinthians 10. I think that came up last time we were together. I don't yep. think that we made it to that passage over there. First Corinthians 10, uh, the verse specifically is verse 13. I think it's often quoted. Of course, we would always say, if you're going to chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, we missed nine. And so- yeah, Verse nine have to go read the first nine chapters. And even if we uh, started in chapter 10, we'd have to at the very least read one down to 12 uh, and beyond for the more immediate context. And I think that would be helpful if we did. Uh, Paul ends chapter nine talking about self-control and buffeting his body. He talks about that at the end of chapter nine, verse 24 to 27. Do you know that they that run in a race, all the runners, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body, keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were at as is written. The people sat down to eat and the drink rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. 
Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest you fall. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not lead you or let you rather be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Okay. You need a break? <laughs> uh, that verse 13 there is, is one that gets quoted a lot, particularly, I, I suppose, the second half of that verse. Uh, that, that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. Um, usually, um, when people come to this verse, they, they they read it almost as if what the verse says is that um, um, God will allow you to be tempted right up to your breaking point and then stop. That that's not that's actually not what the verse says. Um, the verse doesn't say that that's what God is going to allow to have happen. Okay, it just says. He will not let you be tempted above your ability. The reason for that is, I believe, already been stated in the verse. Uh, the verse says, no temptation has overtaken you, but but that which is common to man. All right. There, there is the common, the commonality of your temptation. The reason you're not going to be tempted above what you're able to bear is because your temptation is nothing special. Now, it doesn't mean it's not painful. That doesn't mean it's not challenging, but it's not unique. Somebody else, somewhere in the, in the world, going through exactly the same thing. Um, and it's a common temptation. And with that common temptation, there is a way out. And guess what? That way out is a common way out. Um, look at what, as the, as the text has just said, uh, he says, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did, right? So he, he says, we've been told all of these things. We've been shown what happened to them. We, we've, we, we know the stories. Obviously, we, we keep them in our, in our hearts, and all of that was there. And he says, well, frankly, there's your path out. Do not desire evil. There's your path out. Uh, it's a common temptation. Same thing happening. What, what, what happens here? Obviously, the specifics are different, but the actual, you know, the lust of the eyes, lust of flesh, pride of life manifests itself differently in every person. Sure, sure. But they're all the same. They're all the same. And they're common. And the way out is always the same. Don't desire the evil. Transform the mind. Renew the mind. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. It's always the same way out. Um, and so the verse is not affirming that God is going to. You know, I've heard people sometimes say, you know, I wish God just, God didn't uh, think I'm, you know, I wish God didn't think I'm, I, I'm a, I wish, I, I, I wish, I, how, how do I say it? I, I, God I thinks I'm stronger than I am or something like that. However they say that, I forget the phraseology they use, but, you know, I wish God thought I was a little less strong. Got that kind of mentality, because he's got me, he, he just thinks I can bear a whole lot more than I think I can bear. That's not what the verse is saying at all. The no. verse is simply saying that there is a commonality to the temptation that every one of us faces and God has ensured that those those special instances are not reserved for each individual person it's a commonality absolutely if you go back up to verse one and I think the um, holy agree with everything that you said the first four or five verses here are so critical because this is one more of those passages in the new testament that makes the comparison between Old Testament Israel and New Testament Israel. And it helps mm -hmm. us identify the church again as God's chosen special people, just the way the Israelites were. Moses, uh, uh, Paul actually is talking about salvation leading into sanctification. Mm -hmm. And he's, he, he's, he says brothers in verse number one, not some individual person, but brothers. And mm -hmm. notice the word all in verse 10, all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Well, guess what they all were? They were all saved by baptism. Guess what the mm -hmm. Corinthians were? They were all saved by baptism. After they were saved, they all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. This is a prelude to verse 16, because the Corinthians also eat and drink of spiritual food. 
Now they're going to be abusing theirs. So he's going to talk about that 10 into 11. They drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. Guess what we do? Corinthian brethren, you drink them, you eat. Nevertheless, here began the problem. With most of them, I think the King James says many, the word most is better because it is the greater portion of them. God was not pleased. They were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, why were they overthrown in the wilderness? Because verse six, verse seven, verse eight, verse nine, verse 10. And then we're told twice, as Jonathan pointed out, these things happen as an example for who? The Corinthian brethren who were reading a problem in the New Testament Israel on nearly every page. And guess mm -hmm. what they've done? They've all been baptized. They've all been saved. They're all eating and drinking. But he might also say, with most of the Corinthian brethren, now why are they in the state they're in? They're doing the same thing. Don't you do it. And then to everything Jonathan just said, this is the commonality of temptation and y'all are succumbing. Um, and so I think that's the bigger, uh, the broader content. I think that's what's happening in Corinth. And he is, it's, it's not a unique special thing for one individual person. It's the, 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 the responsibility of self-control, faithful living to God's spiritual history. Yeah. And that seems it seems to be the uh, great point, by the way, in terms of making the, that, that comparison. And the, the the structure that Paul has here is very important because what he is what he's uh, implying, the argument is based upon this implication that I can learn from other people's temptations, how they either succumb or how they overcame. I don't have to go through that myself. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I can, I can, now we always, seems like we always do, you know, I don't guess you know what, how hot, what a hot, you know, stovetop is until you actually touch it, I guess. But point is smart people don't have to do that. If you're wise, you don't have to do that. You know, uh, I, I, th I think I probably got spanked less than, than my brothers and sisters did. Cause you know, there were people that went down that path in front of me and, and it doesn't take too long to figure out, okay, that, that, that's a bad idea. Uh, and, and you can do that um, with temptation. And therein is another way of, of, you know, learning not to get into the temptation to start with, but then also how to get out of it, uh, the, the way of escape. It's, it's right there in front of you. The lessons are clear and they can easily be uh, a scene from scripture and you can learn from them. Given the close of Revelation and no more uh, Revelation being given, isn't it safe to say that all of the ways of escape God gives have been given in this. <laughs> there's no, there's no new information coming. So yeah, it, it, the, the, the way of escape from temptation is pretty much always the same. Just say, no, I'm, I'm going to do it. Now the trick is how do you get to the, the, the spiritual development that no is the answer that you, that you provide to the temptation. And again, that's it's in the verse. Don't desire the evil. Well, then that leads you to another question. How do you get to the point where that thing that you desire, you no longer desire? And that, that gets back to our topic of transformation. You've got to transform the mind. You, your mind thinks one thing, and it needs to think something differently. So Isaiah 55, Isaiah says, come, you know, come, come, buy, come, buy, uh, 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 come buy food and wine without price. Okay? Just come. I, I, I'll give you rich food without price. He's talking about his truth. He's talking about his revelation. In the middle of that chapter, he says, my ways are better than your ways. My thoughts are better than your thoughts. And to the wicked man, he says, you need to forsake your ways and you need to get rid and change your thoughts because mine are better. And then he goes on the latter part of the chapter that then says, my word will not return unto me void. It will accomplish that for which I send it. What did he send his word to do? He sent his word to change the way we think. And it will work. Ultimately, it will. It will transform the way we think and the way we live, which will transform our desires, which will give us the ability to say no in the face of temptation. Not easy, but it's straightforward and doable. Absolutely is. And, and there's no other, there's no other way to do it. Now we 
we do sometimes talk about some some practical things with regard, and I think we mentioned a couple of them, and and one of them is to be honest with yourself personally. Mm-hmm. You've got to address you. Uh, there's a reason why you're lusting. There's a reason for that. Now, what is that? So that you can think about the thing in question differently. You you have a present way of thinking about it. Now, why do you think that? Uh, likely, there's nothing in the thing itself to cause us to think what we think. The, the thing itself is just a thing itself. I mean, money sitting on a table cannot cause you to love money. No. The, the money doesn't have that ability. So, you and I are going to have to think about money for some reason beyond the entity itself. The same thing could be true with food, companionship. Uh, I think uh, Adam and Eve eating a piece of fruit, uh, Achan stealing garments and gold, and David taking another man's wife. Well, you have three different um, things in question, if you will. Not that that she was a thing, but you have three different entities in question. Uh, but clearly the same motivation behind all three of those things was somebody coveted that thing or and that op- somebody did and they busted after it and they took it. Yeah. Uh, it, it it's, a, it's amazing how often um, that, how often a, an improper understanding about who we are leads to the place of temptation. Eve looks at the fruit and is convinced that God has withheld something from me that I need. I'm lacking. I'm incomplete. And that 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 opened the pathway to her sin. Um, and, you know, uh, people will chase chase after money because I, I, I you know, I lack something. If I if I get this, I'll be better off. And so it's it. it, it, it same thing with you know sexual uh, uh, misconduct and so on. It, it's it's so often tied to a an improper uh, understanding of who we are and how how we fill those holes that we see in our lives. Um, which obviously understanding the gospel and understanding your place before God and 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 you know really getting that message believed within you. Uh, goes a long way toward filling in some of those holes uh, that 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 are the places where where sin can very easily take root. So, if we were starting with uh, some uh, suggestions on how to overcome temptation, which I think was our next discussion, we were talking about temptation. We we're going to talk about how to overcome it. So, if we don't finish tonight, we maybe we have one more session. But I think that would be a great start, as uh, to be honest with yourself, identify the issue. Uh, I think another one uh, is to put up a fight. You know, you've, you've, you and I have to be willing to try to resist the thing, try to fight against it. Um, to, 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 as Paul says in chapter nine here, um, uh, the end of that chapter, we read it. He was talking about himself and he says uh, that, that, he ran the race, but but he was doing that not aimlessly. Um, he was talking about practicing his own self control. Um, he 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 ran, not uh, he says they do not receive perishable. We an infant. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Um, I don't know if we talk enough about self-control, but that's exactly what Paul is talking about. Uh, It's not that he doesn't have the passions. It's that he is disciplining his body and he is keeping it under control. The mind controls the body, not the other way around. Right. Right. And and that is, well, it's something I talk about a lot because it it is the process. Uh, It's the entire way the gospel is intended to work. And it is that word of transformation. It's not reformation. You're not reforming yourself. You're not trying to become a better you. Um, you're, you're trying to become somebody new. And that happens uh, not through, not through the, 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 the constraining power of, of arbitrary and external regulation. Self-control, self-discipline. And that, that resides within the mind, not within the body. 
um, you know, your, your, your will has the ability to control the actions of your body. It, it, it does exist. Um, and, you know, if, if, if we're struggling with something, it's ultimately a problem of the mind, uh, assuming there are no, you know, physiological conditions that might cause other things, but it's ultimately for most people, a product of the mind and, and not the other way around. So when, when we talk about our great nation and we talk about America and we talk about challenges and you have people all over the gamut, that, that, that's not my discussion. My discussion is the great benefits and the, the, for lack of a better word, the blessings of our country are also the great challenge to Christianity mm -hmm. because it is expressly because we're so free, not that I want to be in bondage, but it is expressly because we're so free. It is expressly because we're so prosperous. Things are so bountiful. Things are so uh, available. Mm -hmm. Now, again, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying let's fix it by uh, going the other way. No, freedom is great. And uh, I, if, if I'm praying for our country, I'm praying First Timothy 2. I'm praying that for kings and for all the authorities that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness, but this is well-pleasing to God. But I think if you're a New Testament Christian, you are simply unaware if you don't appreciate that your and my challenges to the faith and to our whatever is tempting us, whatever is causing our minds to be troubled is expressly because of the freedoms that we enjoy, the license and liberty that are ours, the abundance of our, uh, uh, of our, of our plenty, and the necessity for self-control and self-discipline in our country, in our world, in our day, it is put to the test in a, in a world that doesn't encourage it in a, in a culture that doesn't seek to restrain. It goes the other way. It would have us indulge and it would go the other way and say, nobody should ever judge you no matter what you, that is the challenge. Self-discipline, not somebody else coming in, lording over you and making you do something, but you exercising self-restraint on your passions and my passions because of Jesus. That's the challenge. Yeah. And, you know, you have to add into that as well, that if, if you in your self-discipline have failed at overcoming this thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again, another layer of self-discipline is not going to do it. The ultimate problem is it, it well, it could be a lack, you know, your point earlier about you got to put up a fight. Okay. It could be that you're not willing to put up a fight, but ultimately there are other things in your life. You do put up a fight over. There are other things. you So you do have the ability to, to overcome these things. You do have the ability to say no. So if, if you continue to fight and struggle and fight and struggle and fight and struggle over the same thing, it's not a self-discipline problem. It's, it's a mind problem. You're thinking wrong you, your mind has not been transformed whatever it is that you're using to fill that hole whatever it is to, to get that gratification to, to you know to, to make you feel better about yourself or whatever it is what, it, what that thing that you're using to do that with or to, to, to accomplish that goal you need to start thinking first of all you need to understand the hole you're trying to fill does it actually exist is it is it actually a problem you know, you, 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 you go out and, uh, and, and, and you, you, you womanize because you feel lonely, because you, know, you feel unloved or unlovable, and you like the attention and the affection that, okay, what's the problem here? Well, the problem is your, your perception about your being unlovable, okay? Say that's a wrong thinking. You're not unlovable, right? You know, God loved you enough to send his son for you, and, and you've got, so you've got to change the thought process behind that which is causing you not to have the discipline problem, or not not to have the discipline to avoid the thing that you're on, it, it, and it's it, and we try to skip that step. Can't skip that. We we yeah, but that's what we do. We try to skip it and and jump over to the discipline side and say, okay, I'm just gonna 
going to put up these, this barrier here. I'm going to put up this wall here, and it's going to hold me in. But I'm, I'm, I'm on this side of the wall, and I still want to get out because whatever I'm feeling, I'm still feeling, even though there's a wall here. And, and just they don't work. I built the wall. I can tear the wall back down. And you will. You'll dig under it. You'll get over it. You'll break it down. Uh, you'll do something. Uh, and and I thought, you know, the reason I say what I said is I thought we had established that part. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> I was trying to agree with Paul, who I believe certainly has the right thinking in his yeah, mind. Absolutely. When yeah. he says, I, I still have to exercise some level of restraint on myself, even though here's a man clearly thinking right about himself in the Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, you do uh, because you 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 will be encouraged to to give in to your passions. You'll be encouraged to do it. Um, yeah. Um, had a couple of comments here. We're already at the top of the hour. Let's see if we can't just get one in. Um, well, there's one from Charles, I guess. Either Christy or Charles. I'm sorry. But uh, how does he will provide fit into this discussion with uh, the Corinthians? Um, and that he will uh, also provide the way way of escape, I'm assuming, is the portion of the verse that's being referenced there. Um, yeah, Paul's right there. That was for you to start talking. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> I, I, I thought you had addressed that pretty well within the within those verses. I would say from six down to 13, he explains that with regards to the people um, that God had already provided. Even Israel, um, you know, the way of escape, I think you pointed out verse number six, we, that we might not desire evil as they did. Mm -hmm. um, do not be idolaters. What, what did God provide them so that they would not be idolaters? Him, uh, Exodus 20. Uh, okay. I am the Lord your God that brought you out of Egypt. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Why would you leave the mountain? And I... This might very well be uh, on some level a discussion, including the golden calves uh, because of verse 12. But they, they have God on the mountain, not seeing an image. And then Moses is on the mount for 40 days. And mm -hmm. maybe they think they're alone. I heard one preacher say uh, that they stood alone in verse number 12. And so now they're making themselves an idol. Uh, but I think the way of escape is in the verses. Um, God, it's is in His heart. Uh, it's in it's in His presence. It's in their heart and His word. Um, the way of escape is is provided in in the very context. I think that you 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 reference. Yeah, and, and even here with the Corinthians specifically, um, I, I I know at least one way He's providing a way of escape for what they're going through. That would be the book that they're currently reading. From the Apostle Paul, <laughs> you know, here's here here here's here here's your warning note right here. Do this, um, and, and and you know, you, you get off into discussion of of the, the providential work of God, and, and so you talk about providing a way of escape. And I, I, I don't know that this verse it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't say more than it says. Um, and within the context of the chapter. Um, it seems that the, the way of escape that, that's listed here, the, 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 the action items, the actionable thoughts that are here don't necessitate some earth moving providential work of God to provide the way of escape. It, it goes back again to the individual recognizing the commonality, the temptation and so on. Now, can God work providentially in, in providing avenues of, of, of escape to a Christian? Sure. Sure. Does he? Probably. Do I know when he does? No, because I don't know God like that. I mean, I'm not inside his brain. I don't, I don't know. Uh, and no one else does either without the revelation of scripture. So, um, you know, if there's more there, there might be more there, but I, I, I have a hard time getting specific about it from the verse itself. I think too, the first thing you mentioned about the verse needs to be repeated. And that is the verse is read as if God is bringing the temptation. Uh, the verse does not say God brings the temptation and God provides the way of escape and God takes you to your limit. That's that's not at all what the verse says. And if you go the other way, starting there, so there's this temptation and it's none has going to overtake you because it's all common. 
the rest of the verse says God is faithful. Number one, he certainly is. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will with the temptation also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. If you, if you take the second half of the verse and start leaning toward God directly doing something in order for you to escape the temptation, we would be troubled with our failures then. Uh, we would have to identify the open door a, we'd have to identify it. B, we'd have to know it came from God. And C, we'd have to take it. And I would imagine then we would have a lot of open doors left open with us still yielding to temptation. That's going to be a problem if you go this route with that verse, it seems to me. The idea is to be able to endure. If you let God start to do that, uh, I'd be challenged with how we still fail then and what that would say about God's efforts to help us. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, 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 obviously that ties back into um, um, you're having the ability as well, because if, if some special way of escape must be provided for you, that kind of denies the ability that denies the concept that you have the ability to, to, to do it, which the verse affirms, whatever temptation coming, you have the ability to overcome it. Um, so what, whatever's here and, you know, I, you know me, I like to leave things in a first century setting as often as I can. Chapter seven of this book does mention there is some kind of present distress going on within that church. Um, different ideas about what that could be. And I can't ignore that in the background of what's being said here. Um, and there were some things going on first century wise in the church as it grew, you know, the fiery trial of first Peter four. First Peter 5 says it's it's happening to the brethren all across the world. Is it 510? I think it is. Um, it, it's there, the Corinthian church is a part of that. And so it is at least possible that these these acts of God here, these ways of escape and this enduring of this, you know, it, it, I can't prove it, but at least in my mind, when I read that, I'm connecting that to other other thoughts of passages in the book, going, okay, there might be something else going on here beyond just my individual temptations. Um, th this, this is something that seems to be afflicting the church, even in this context, the, the context here in chapter 10 is obviously written to the brothers. And, and that, that point you were making as you read through those first few verses, it's collectively everybody is going through this. So th there could be something grander in the background of this text than just, you know, it, it's, it's, it's Tuesday morning and I'm tempted to lie. And, and I, I agree absolutely with that. I would add the, the tempter and we're not ignorant of his devices, uh, Paul says, or his schemes. But, but verse 14 turns right around and says, therefore, my beloved, flee. Yeah. Flee from idolatry. And that so, would be a way of escape. <laughs> Joseph comes to mind and... Uh, Run away. So... Uh, <clears throat> I think um, our time's up, man. I appreciate uh, the discussion. I, I hope it was helpful to, to the audience. I don't think we have to come back and discuss more unless you want to. There might be some other discussion we want to take up at some point. Uh, I think we, we've we gone down this path as, as far as we need to for the, for, for the present time. That uh, would be my, be my thought. But uh, we, do, we probably need to not go as long as we did between us appearing again, you know, it was it, it, it had been a minute so anyway Got it. um 